You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to welcome back on the program in the studio the one, the only Dr. History. And this segment is brought to you by our dear friends with Minicasha Sales at 1321 East Main Street in Burley. And we're going to be talking about them in just a little bit. But right now, good morning, world traveler. Oh, good morning, Zab. How are you? I'm doing great. It's just nice to see a great sunshiny day. And- the farms and everything around. Now, we can be really honest about uh, your feelings prior to leaving for China. Now, the last time you were on this program was the same day, later in the day, that you were going to leave and fly to China, was it not? Yes, that's correct. And Ken Turner has always been, he's a dear friend of mine, but I can tell you that the day that he was here on the broadcast and ready to leave that night, you had second thoughts about going, didn't you? I was a little nervous. Yeah. Maybe more than a little nervous. Well, it's a long flight. It is. It how, is. how many hours over there? Well, last, I'll just tell you, last week or two weeks ago, I left, uh, I drove to Boise, and uh, the next morning I uh, got on the airplane at 7.30 in the morning on a Wednesday, yeah. 7.30 on Wednesday morning, yeah. went to San Francisco, and I arrived in Beijing at 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday. Oh, so from Wednesday my. morning here yeah. till 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday Okay, so because you, of the time zone. You picked up an entire day. Yes. Yeah. And there was no darkness. It was so, light all the way. Yeah, till, you were going into the sun. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. the sun was chasing us or whatever. Yeah, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a long day. Uh, and then coming home, it would be the opposite. Right. In fact, yeah. coming home, I left Beijing at 12 noon on Tuesday. Right. Got to Boise at 2.30 Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Two and, and a half hours. You picked up a whole day. And, and went through a night. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. You've got me confused. <laughs> okay. So, in other words, you were the only guy on the plane with your own portable pillow. It was about... 15 hours. Oh, my goodness sakes. 15 hours of flying. So. Uh, and and there are really some nice people over there. And I think let's get to this right off the bat. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Peking University and the students that you spoke in front of. I've got to say, Zeb, they are the most impressive, uh, kind, respectful sharp students that I've ever met. Now, when you say respectful, I want to stop right there, and I want to talk about this. I have heard from many, many sources, uh, various friends that have gone over there other than you, and they said the Chinese younger people, and quite frankly, the Chinese people in general, were extremely polite. They they were. um, Like I say, I was so impressed with these students. uh, the day I spoke uh, on Wednesday night, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I went to their classes I see. and had individual uh, question and answer periods. And I got to know some of these students uh, on a first name basis. 
and by the time I got around to speaking at the lecture on Wednesday evening, uh, I felt a lot more comfortable with them. Again, they were just so respectful, so kind and uh, inquiring. How big a university numbers-wise, as far as students, is Peking University? Well, I, I, I tried to get an answer, for, and I heard everything from 5,000 to 45,000. So I never did really oh get a, a total answer. But uh, on the way over, I sat by a Chinese businessman from Boise to San Francisco. Really? And uh, he was flying to Shanghai, and when I told him what I was doing at Peking University, the first thing out of his mouth was, Peking University is the number one university in China. In China. Yeah. Now, I guess my obvious question at this point would be, how many universities or do they have a university system of other colleges and universities that operate as satellite schools from the main one? Okay. I don't know that they have satellites, but in Beijing itself, uh, I was told there were about 50 universities and colleges uh, just in, in beijing oh in beijing just in beijing so Ooh, you my. get outside to some of the other cities like shanghai and some of the others so education is a huge huge thing in, with the chinese people uh, you know i must ask this because we see the turmoil unrest and the uh, uh different movements on our college campuses here in the united states and we see the in some regards sloppy attire and the sloppiness to our students what are they like over there those students dress nice i didn't see any piercings any tattoos any uh, mohawk hair those students uh, dress very nice. Uh, I didn't see any student that I wouldn't be uh, that I would be ashamed of. Really, just uh, excellent students. And to get into the university, and we'll get into this a little bit, but uh, it's quite a process. Really, it, qualification. Yes, I yes. see. But uh, when I spoke at the university on at the lecture, and uh, I've presented Zeb with a gift from the students of Peking University. Now, I'm going to ask you, is this, it's a card holder, and on the outside, folks, I'll tell you what, for those that might be listening or watching at home on our uh, webcast, it's a, is this teak wood, or is this rose, uh, cherry wood, or what is that? You know, that? I, I really don't know. They presented it uh, to me to give to you, and I, I really don't know what type of wood. It's kind of a reddish uh, brown. Yeah. Uh, uh, very pretty. It's a got very, very pretty card holder, and it's done in a very rich, uh, highly gloss, kind of a red wood, and very, very nice. And for those that are listening over in China right now, I'd like to extend my thank yous. This means a lot, and it will be right here on my broadcast desk from this point on. Thank you very much. Okay, so let me read this that the students read to me as they presented this to you. Okay. Dear Mr. Zabell. Please accept this small gift from us students of American English at Peking University. Your happy cowboy voice and funny interruptions have sometimes <laughs> thrown us off and at other times pulled us in. We love your big voice and fun, teasing personality. When you are introducing Dr. History, please see in your mind the many students who listen to each story many times and who try to see you in our minds. Thank you, the English students, Peking University. Beijing, China. Uh, it's a good thing you didn't take a picture of me. You know what? <laughs> you did. I did. <laughs> Which picture did you take? You know when we had our Christmas show? Uh, yeah. Uh, I stood over there next to you and had a picture taken of you and I. Yeah. And when I did my PowerPoint presentation, 
I showed them what you and I look like, oh, what you my. look like. My, 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 my. So now they don't have to imagine. Now, when you were giving your talk over there, basically what were you talking on? What subject? Um, here's what I did. I, I gave a little autobiography of myself. Actually, my friend Jack, Professor Rose, yeah. he introduced me. And, he teaches there. Right. He and his okay. wife, Rhonda, teach at the university. I see. And that's how I got involved in going I there. I see. I see. He introduced me with an autobiography, and then uh, I told about, oh, seven or eight stories about mountain men, pioneers, uh, uh, stage holdups, things like that. Yeah. So, um, but uh, in the end, I thought, you know, I don't want to just entertain these kids with stories. I'd like to say something that will hopefully affect their lives. Right. So in the end, I asked them, uh, I told them that uh, a lot of the stories I give are from journals and diaries, and those are the most uh, reliable sources that I use right. when I tell stories. Right. So I said, how many of you have a journal? And I said, I would like to commit you to start, if you haven't already, a journal of your own and keep this journal. Uh, because somewhere down the road, you'll have a child or a grandchild that can Absolutely. read that journal and say, oh, my grandfather had a rough time at Peking University, but he made it through it, and so Absolutely. can I. Absolutely. I like that. And we have a caller with a question. Let's get that on real quick. Okay. Uh, an hour is going to be too short this morning. I can see that already. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, yeah. I got a question for Dr. History there. Did uh, he get my CD delivered? That's all I need to know. Uh, no, I did not. And I can talk to you about that later. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, um, let me ahead. just finish that, Zeb. Uh, so the second thing I committed them to do, because I wanted something permanent in their lives, I said, would you please go home when you go home in the summertime, go to your father and your grandfather or grandmother and record their history. Get a tape recorder, a recorder of some kind, because when they're dead, their story's gone. Absolutely. So, and better yet, if you can talk to your grandfather and ask him what he remembers about his grandfather, mm -hmm. you're going to have a family history that will be precious in years to come. Absolutely. So, and did they like the idea? They did. Um, and I don't know how many will actually do it. The students that were there listening to you, I mean, uh, it's hard for me to fathom distances over in China because I've never been there. But, I mean, did you have students that would be like the equivalency uh, distance away, like from San Francisco to New York? I mean, a lot of them that haven't been home for quite some time because of the distance factor? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, on Sunday evening, we had dinner with three students. Uh, two really sweet ladies and a, and, a, and a young man named Randy. He was from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Zaya was from Mongolia. And Iman was from southern China. Which would be how far? Roughly. I'm, I'm going to say 800 to 1,000, 1,200 and, miles. And probably they had not been home for quite some time. Right. They just can't jump in the car and run home. Another quick question, and I'm asking things off the cuff this morning. Do these students also have outside jobs to help replenish their monetary needs while they're in school? As far as I know, they do not. I see. Are they there on scholarships? Yes. Oh. Now, let me talk about that just a little bit. Um, the education is such an important thing in China. They start when they're five or six years old. Right. And uh, they, the goal is for the parents and the grandparents to do everything they can, all their assets, to educating this child, one, maybe two children. Really? 
And so the goal is to get this child into a university, and especially Peking University. I see. So uh, I saw uh, children on the back of scooters and bicycles, six, seven, eight years old, uh, with their backpack open, looking at notes as they were being ridden or driven to Studying school. Studying all the time. Studying. All the time. So when they turn about 17 or 18 years old, they take a two-day test. Yeah. They have one chance. And if they pass this, then they will be admitted to a university. If they don't pass it, that's it. They don't get another chance. They do not get another chance. So in other words, an entrance exam here in the United States might not allow you to go to Yale or Harvard, but you could go somewhere else. Sure, yeah. I see. And so there's other opportunities, but the universities, you have one chance. What is the curriculum like? I mean, uh, I went through two universities, and uh, I can kind of relate uh, University of Wisconsin, University of Minnesota, and then Brown Institute, but what about their curriculum? Okay, these students are studying anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day. A day? A day, plus going to their classes. Uh, What about the burnout factor? You know... You can only imagine because I uh, these students are going from early till late every day except oh, Sunday, my. Um, and for them actually to take an hour, an hour and a half out of the time to come to my lecture was actually really a sacrifice. You, you mentioned except Sunday. Is that a day that uh, uh, is associated with a religious day, off day from school, like it used to be here in this country also? Not necessarily. I see. Because, if, let's, for example, if they have a holiday, and uh, like say a Monday is a holiday, they're expected to make up those classes on Sunday. I see. I see. And while I was there... Uh, uh, the Monday after I got there was a holiday, and and that's when I went to the Great Wall of China, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, I've got to get a commercial break in here. I hate okay. to break in and Great. interrupt you because you're so fascinating on this subject. Don't forget, on Thursdays, we have another segment that's very, very important, and it's called Cashew County School Days. And we're very blessed to have two wonderful sponsors for that program, A Child's World at 1308 Overland in Burley. And, of course, they've got hundreds and hundreds of spring play clothes and dresses and celebrate a brand new baby with a five-piece baby outfit. Oh, look at Dr. Turner grin. And then don't forget, too, they've got all the clothing for the little boys and they got the games and the puzzles, everything for the family right there at A Child's World, 1308 Overland in Burley, along with the other sponsor of Cashew County School Days, Ambulatory Surgery Center at 1344 Highland. Over 100 procedures are performed Every month, saving a lot of residents of Magic Valley a lot of money. You better believe it. Eye surgery, knee surgeries, colonoscopies. All you have to do is call and find out more. 677-8888. 677-8888. Ambulatory Surgery Center, 1344 Highland in Burley. Um, Dr. History, what about the... I want to go back just a second to something I thought of while doing that last commercial. They're textbooks. I mean, are they all written in Chinese, or do they have kind of an uh, uh, English and Chinese translation? You know, I've got to admit, I did not see any uh, uh, textbooks. Now, uh, Rhonda, uh, Professor Rose's wife, uh, is teaching and having her students read some uh, stories that are all English. 
So they have to read English literature, English books. So they're listening to this program, Dr. History, and they're taking notes, I would assume, on some of the historical content and everything we do on this program. And are they being being graded on this with their notes and their thoughts about this program or what? Yes, they are. Um, They discuss this and... uh, um, I don't know that they're actually graded on what they hear on the radio or on our show, but uh, they are tested on their All of a sudden, I'm breaking out in a cold sweat. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, in fact, uh, Professor Rose, Jack Rose, uh, uh, in his class, they get deducted, uh, I think, like five points if they use any Chinese during their hour-long class or two-hour class. So they have to strictly speak uh, English. English. And... uh, he has projects for these students that are amazing that these students put together like tours of the campus and and let me just say this about the campus Uh, there were some very very modern buildings really nice a state-of-the-art library but there's some very old buildings on this campus as well but the, the building i spoke in was a science building that had a very nice auditorium with a big screen in the front uh, uh cordless microphone did the architecture of their buildings coincide with a lot of what we have here on our campuses in the united states somewhat some really modern but others are made and built with the chinese type roof uh, you know the slanting type uh, yeah. roofs uh, yeah. on the on the on some of the newer buildings, but there's older buildings that are still being used that they've been for many years. What about some of their questions? When you were introduced in front of the class as Doctor Ken Turner, Doctor History, and on the Zeb Bell program, etc., did they have a common thread with some of the questions? You know. Um, Rhonda Rose is teaching about the Lewis and Clark expedition right now. And so a lot of the questions centered around the Indians, the Indian life then and Indian life now. Really? So I was quite interested or fascinated that they were, they really wanted to know about the Indians and the feelings back then, you know, 150 years ago, and what's going on with the Indians now. I guess an obvious question would be, why would they, in their culture and their education, be so interested in Lewis and Clark? And I don't know so much about Lewis and Clark, uh, because... Or our history in general. Yeah, um... I think because uh, it is so different, yeah. and uh, the Indians were uh, a lot, a, a lot of times misunderstood, uh, and so you know they uh, Hollywood movies portray the Indians as the bad guys all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so I tried to straighten that out and explain to them that the Indians were many times very helpful. Now them. I have talked and visited with a lot of Japanese people. And their infatuation with the American West is second to none. I mean, like at the National Finals Rodeo every year in Las Vegas, and prior to that when it was in Oklahoma City, you would find a huge delegation of Japanese people there wearing the great big resist-all cowboy hats and the boots and everything. Do the Chinese also have an infatuation with the American West and its history? You know, they do seem to. In fact, uh, it was interesting as as we toured around different places that I did see a few Chinese men with a cowboy hat. Really? But they were 
they weren't quite like our resist all, uh, a little different, uh-huh. you know, but uh, yeah. it was interesting to see some of them wearing a, a cowboy hat. When you were standing up there talking about the program, uh, I mean, what was your main gist of the speech that you wanted them to know? I mean, what were you telling them? Well, just mainly, I just told them about seven or eight stories uh, uh, about the mountain men, about... Not the naked one. No, not that okay, one. Good. Well, actually, I did tell them about John Coulter oh, and, boy, and his run. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And about the bear attacks with uh, Hugh Glass and uh, stagecoach robbery that took place up here at uh, by Oakley. And so just a few entertaining stories. I-, I bet you that their eyes widened when you said that that stagecoach robbery took place basically in your backyard. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, I showed them some pictures of the Oregon Trail and talked about the Oregon Trail, the pioneers, the wagons. That, I would imagine, would be a topic that would really keep their attention. The Oregon Trail, probably the most famous uh, venture for, what, 50, 60 years, right. any time in the United States history. Right. I showed them a picture of, uh, of what it looked like along the Snake River in the summertime and in the wintertime to show them what the mountain men would have seen as they came through this area. Really? So, uh, like I say, the lecture went very well, and uh, because the students were promised a extra five-point credit if they got my autograph, I was mobbed after the lecture. I felt like a superstar. A rock star. <laughs> a rock star. Uh, but, kind of a gray-haired Ringo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but again, these students were so respectful and That's just nice. courteous and kind. And uh, uh, In fact, uh, Zaya, one of the students that we had dinner with, uh, she gave me, I should have brought that, I forgot to, a little yurt. You know what a yurt is? I, uh, isn't a yurt one of those buildings in the wintertime when you're up skiing? Okay, a yurt is this round oh. uh, tent-like structure. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And she was from Mongolia, yeah. and she presented me with this really neat little yurt. Really? Another student uh, had been hiking in the Gobi Desert and brought me a little thing with Gobi Desert sand in well, it. What a nice gift. Yeah. I, you I, know, we've got to take a break and send it back to our main studios, but I want to talk to you about our favorite subject. It used to be until I put on a little weight, food. We're going to talk about that and the Great Wall of China, and I've got to ask you about this irrigation on this uh, book. It's, uh, folks, this is the most amazing irrigation process I've ever seen in my life, anywhere, anytime. We're going to have more with Dr. History right after we take this break. Wheels, over to you. The world traveler, Dr. History. Doc, um, I am absolutely, i got to get into this right now. The Great Wall of China. You brought a book back that shows various pictures of the surrounding area, and the Great Wall of China lit up at night. And uh, I had no idea that the Great Wall of China was of this magnitude. Well, you know, before I went, uh, I had thought there was the one Great Wall. Actually, there were many walls that were built uh, starting clear back in the 5th and 6th centuries. Right, yeah. And they've been torn down, rebuilt, torn down, rebuilt, but about in the 1400s is when the Great Wall was really built, and it goes, uh, really, the total length of all these walls is about 13,000 miles. Really? But the Great Wall is around close to 2,000. Now, we drove for two hours out of Beijing north to a place called Jinshanling. When we got there, it was 33 degrees. It was cold. Ooh. 
And so we started climbing. There's, they have steps that take you up to the wall, up to uh, uh, where, where you can start walking on the wall. It took about 45 minutes to an hour just to walk and climb. And I'll tell you, I was, even though it was cold, I was sweating by the time I got to the top. Now, the Great Wall, how much refurbishment or maintenance does it take to keep it up? Well, there's a lot of places where it is not. It's been overgrown with trees and brush and shrubs and one thing or another, and really? is not kept up. But uh, so I don't know how many miles they actually keep built up. But when I finally got to the top um, and uh, was able to look around for miles and miles to to my left and to my right, you could see these on the on the ridges of the mountains. Well, I'm looking at a picture right now that goes along with what you're saying. The clouds actually are below the photographer in this one picture, right. and you can see the various points uh, of the wall on other hillsides. Right. Now, the place we went to is not a place where you go if you uh, can't do much walking, because oh. we had to hike clear to the top. Oh, my. The other thing that quite surprised me uh, is that from tower to tower, uh, we might go down a very, very steep set of steps, get to the bottom, and have some very, very steep steps going up to the next tower. So uh, we went through about five towers, and uh, again, I was absolutely exhausted by the time we got through with that wall. Let me ask you this real quick. Uh, were you impressed with the workmanship? You know, Zeb, every time I looked at that wall, I thought somebody had to haul this rock, this brick, this mortar from down in that valley up to this ridge. Really? And build this. It's built right. At, I mean, there, it's it's a sheer drop off on, on both sides. Side. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And steep. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as far as engineering, it's amazing. It's yeah. a total amazing. Uh, uh, now, at one time, they had soldiers actually building this, and then they had sometimes uh, prisoners and one thing or another. But they actually finally moved some of their families close by so they could live at the bottom and work. Do, on the, do you have an estimate, or is it in this book at all, as to how many people actually built the Great Wall of China? You know, I. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just huge. Now, I'm going to ask you to do this real quick, and then I've got to do some commercials so that we don't fall behind. Ladies and gentlemen, the irrigation system over there on a mountaintop, and it's not just one mountaintop, it's numerous mountaintops with the water. I mean, can explain this to the audience at home. This is absolutely fascinating. Okay. After the lecture, Jack and I took a bullet train south. Uh, into for about 800 to 1,000 miles. And there we saw the Terracotta Warriors, which I'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But this place was called the Dragon Back because the mountains look like a dragon's back. And if you look at that, you'll, you'll see that in those yeah. pictures. But yeah. the, uh, when we, uh, we had a cab that took us to the bottom of this uh, little parking lot, we had to hike up to our hotel because they didn't have any roads. And it took about a half an hour to 40 minutes. You had to do that every day? Well, no, just this one day. We only stayed one night in this oh, hotel. I wouldn't have stayed there at all. <laughs> I want ground reservations. Oh, but the hotel was very nice. It overlooked the village, this little village. Wow. And then we hiked around, and that's where these terraced farming uh, operations take place. That's and what it, it's called, is terraced terra, farming? Right, and it's all hand labor. You, you can't get a tractor or anything up those mountains. Yeah. Now, the thing you asked me about was the irrigation. What they did is they would find a stream coming down through a, a little valley or whatever, 
and they would take bamboo and they would just uh, hook bamboo, uh, you know, maybe a 20-foot piece to another 20-foot piece to another 30-foot piece, and they could irrigate that whole area. As you look at that picture, and then they would cut notches in a terrace to let the water flow from that terrace down to the next terrace, and then another notch to let that go down to the next terrace, but then they may skip one or two and then go to another one well how thick or how much of an opening like a pipe is the bamboo it's only i'm going to say three inches three inches yeah and ladies and gentlemen i know you can't see this at home but i've got a picture in front of me at the top of the mountain there's a gentleman standing in probably about uh, 24 inches of water with an ox and what's he doing plowing they, they use those and hand labor in the water in the water to plow the ground to plant the rice. So and then the water keeps going down these various tiers. Now on this mountainside, there's one, two, oh, there's probably at least twenty different tiers. Right now, when I was there, we only saw water in a few of those. Most of them were uh, somewhat dry because they're preparing the ground. Yeah. So I saw a number of people out there with these hoes that were plowing the ground with hose. The hand labor over there, Zeb, is amazing. Uh, I only saw two tractors the whole time we, when we took the bullet train for about 800 miles, I saw two tractors that you could sort of call tractors. That was it. Sort of? Sort of. Really? Not, not really what we would call a tractor. So basically, they're still doing the work with oxen and hand labor yes. comparable to what it was like a thousand years ago. Yes, yes. This village that we stayed in, um, Everything has to be hauled up by either on your back or by horses. They had some small horses. When not, you say everything, like what? Like the food, the water, or not the water, the food, the uh, building supplies, rock. Uh, everything had to be hauled up there because there was not a road going into this little village. Really? Now, you touched on something we need to discuss, and I know we're running short on time. Food. Okay. The food... Uh, I tried, and I enjoyed some of it. Uh, I did um, my best, and I, I enjoyed some of it. Uh, but it's definitely a different... The Chinese Chinese food is definitely different than American so Chinese food. So what you're trying to tell us without telling us is that you ran, not walked, ran to the nearest McDonald's. Burger King, McDonald's, <laughs> Sizzler. <laughs> uh, oh, my. But it was... I decided what what to, made it so distinct in taste? You know, I'm not sure what it is they use when they're cooking. Uh, I had some grilled chicken that was very good. Uh, the uh, the cabbage and the rice is just, uh, and the rice was good. Uh, there's just some things that, there was just a distinct taste to it. I'm not quite sure I see. what it is they, they cook with there. Now, well, transportation is another subject that we wanted to talk about. And uh, uh, a guy like me that needs to jump in a vehicle and go someplace, it looks like I'm not going to go very far, right? Okay, when I got there, uh, Professor Rose, Jack, uh, showed me my means of transportation. Yeah. It was a bicycle. A bike? Oh, yeah. And uh, thousands, millions of bikes in really? all the, in all the cities. And uh, did you have to be careful and lock them up and everything? Oh yeah, yeah, because really? they, they can be stolen. So you do lock them up every time you go anywhere. But on campus, thousands and thousands of bikes on the on the campus and in the city. Really? But we rode and rode all over Beijing, and uh, that's an interesting experience too. Because when you come to a large intersection, you've got vehicles going left and right and back and forth, and you. 
Jack told me, now just keep your eyes straight ahead because if you look left or right, that guy is going to maybe get ahead of you. Or uh, So you just have to be kind of careful. Well, who has the right-of-way? Whoever's biggest. I see. So a, a, a big truck has the right-of-way. A uh, smaller bus has less right-of-way. A car and then a bus. So you're telling me that there's not necessarily lanes and turn lanes and all this no, kind of no, stuff? No, there are. But you still... You still kind of move in where you can. Uh, so, But let me just tell you something about the cars. They do not allow any cars older than five years old in Beijing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How come? I, I really don't know. What happens? you got to get rid of it? I guess you. there's some way that you trade them off or whatever. But BMWs, Audis, Mercedes, Cadillacs. They're making money. Buicks, uh, Hondas. I mean, beautiful car. I only saw one car that had a dent in it. One in the whole time I was there. You're kidding me. So, uh, and the other thing that I want to point out is the people dress extremely well. I, I, in in American garb or what, they're traditional or what? No, just very uh, American type, uh, very well dressed, high heels for the women, uh, uh, slacks and sweaters and just, the people dress very, very nice. In there. all instances? Well, now, when you see the laborers, the people that are uh, uh, doing the manual labor, of course, they're, they are dressed more like in work clothes. Okay. But, uh, again, the hand labor over there is amazing. They do have back hose and track hose, but uh, a lot of it is still done it's, by manual it labor. It sounds to me like you're intimating and not really saying that it's an extremely clean culture. Yes, but I also... Uh, we cycled over to a marketplace. Oh, boy. Now, I've got to describe this to you. This marketplace was probably a mile long with maybe three rows of buildings. Every single building was full of either a meat market, fish market, vegetables, clothes, electronics, bikes, anything that you could possibly want. And this is outside? Yes. Well, yeah, the, the vegetable market was outside, but the, the buildings were long, uh, Covered buildings. Okay. But, uh, again, everything, material, uh, clothing. Um, now, the, the fish market was interesting. Uh, live fish, live turtles. Uh, and, again, the meat market, uh, ducks and chickens. Uh, yeah. All, anything that you could possibly want. Really? Uh, so, the mar- now, another thing that I found interesting was in some areas, when you go shopping, you barter. So they start at 500, you start at 100, then they come down, you go up a little, and uh, I bought some nice things, but you barter. Uh, now, some places it's not. It's the price is what it is, and that's it. I see. And other places, the, you go back and forth, and they expect that. Really? So when they say, this is 500, and I say, oh, I'll give you 100, they, just, they know you're going to come somewhere down. Really? Into the middle, yeah. Oh, my. i got a break here, and then i got to... Oh boy, we're running late. We're going to have to do this again next week. Don't forget Steve-O's 290 South, 600 West of Hayburn. Oh, my goodness, they're celebrating their 20-year anniversary. Dr. History, get your checkbook out. You can take Deanne and I out to eat. Love to go. And don't forget Steve-O's always uh, thanking the community for all the support for over the last 20 years. They've got the friendliest servers and a very dedicated staff, and they say, come on in and help us celebrate 
20 years with your favorite lunch or dinner. Food made just the way you like it at Stevo's 290 South 600 West of Hayburn. Hey, by the way, let's also tell you about what's going on over at our friends at Scarrow's Meats. They sell taste one bite at a time, 331 North Road, Jerome, mm-hmm, 324-7657. They've got that tax return meat package for just $300. That's right, just $300 beef, pork, chicken, cheese, delicious. Give them a call. Find out more about it today, 324-7657 at Scarrow's Meats. And right now, here is Michael Rogers' weather. Hello everyone, Michael Rogers is up at the ranch. Got a nice day with temperatures in the 70s, but you do have rain in the forecast. And I'm really bad at doing this. I don't know why. Because, you know, I should just stay into today, but I always look down the road. It's just a weather thing in me. I don't know. We got a nice day today, 73 for the high 45 to the overnight low. When you get to Wednesday and Thursday, you got a slight chance of rain on Wednesday, rain on Thursday, come out of it on Friday. There you have it. And then this weekend, you're going to have a pretty nice weekend. So other than that, get a nice day for the day. Enjoy the weather. It is the only weather you got. Uh, thank you very much, Michael Rogers Weather. And brought to you by Don Scarrow and Scarrow's Meats. Selling taste one bite at a time. 331 North Road, Jerome. 324-7657. Oh, by the way, too, don't forget Ramsey Heating and Electric uh, along with Linux with their rebates on qualified Linux home comfort systems, whether it's a gas furnace, air conditioner, or a heat pump, you and your family will enjoy the comfort. Call Ramsey Heating and Electric, 678-0459. They can save you money. Warm winters and cool summers. Ramsey Heating and Electric and Lennox. We've only got a short time left, and I want to ask you, you gave me the title of something that I have absolutely no idea what it is, Terracotta Warriors? Okay, we took a bullet train down to a place called Shihan. Uh-huh. Uh, probably about 2,000 years ago, there was a the first emperor of China. Uh, back then, they had a, the theory that you take with you what you need to go to the next life. So uh, he had uh, these warriors made out of clay, terracotta warriors. These were discovered in 1974, and so far they've uncovered about 8,000 of these full-sized warriors, uh, horses, chariots, all made out of uh, this clay. Now, it took 11 men one month to make one soldier. Oh, my. And every single one of them are different. No two are exactly like. The taller ones are in the front. They're the uh, the uh, officers, I guess, if you want to call that. And towards the back, they get shorter as the enlisted men. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're painted uh, and covered with lacquer uh, in order to preserve the color. Now, over there, they have a lacquer tree. Okay, you can take ta- two tablespoons two tablespoons of lacquer from a tree. Uh, if you take any more, it might kill the tree. And it takes twenty five trees. To cover one soldier. Oh my! They would then take these uh, 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 terracotta warriors and they put them in a cave where they made them, and they would cut, seal up the cave and bake the uh, the uh, the warriors so that, to harden the. Uh, when you say bake, is it kind of like a smoking process? No, it's more like uh, like we would do today with uh, the kiln I see. of some type. For pottery. Right, for pottery. Yeah. And so um, it was just interesting to see these rows and rows and rows of these warriors, every one of them different. Oh, my it, goodness. An sake. amazing thing. I'm getting an attitude from you that China... 
today goes way back literally thousands of years depicted today in agriculture and farming, but also the other end of the spectrum where they're probably the most uh, sophisticated and uh, modern. I went into some malls in uh, there that were, it looked like you could have stepped into New York City or Los Angeles or any big city. What about money? I mean, uh, how, uh, what are they involved in to make their wages? Well, again, I saw many, many shops, uh, street vendors selling food. These people work hard. I mean, they, they're up early in the morning to late at night every day. Uh, and then, of course, you have the upper echelon of people that are businessmen, that dressed yeah. in suits, that are going into these very nice high-rise buildings. Do they have a, a kind of a sort of a capitalistic system to where they have a different, like the higher class, middle class, lower class, because of... Of the jobs and the status? Yes, and that's why education is so important for these people. That yeah. is the critical, most important thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the opportunity is out there. If you want to set up a little stand and sell uh, breakfast food or any kind of uh, thing that you want to sell on the streets, are you can they, do it. Are they licensed and uh, basically governed by the government as far as regulations are concerned? Not necessarily. Oh, uh, some, Look out. Some will be on these... Uh, three-wheel scooters, and uh -huh. they'll be selling their goods, but they kind of keep a watch, and sometimes they will move. So are you telling me not to buy a burrito from a scooter? <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, the first day there, we went to a one of these uh, mobile stands and had a breakfast uh, wrap that was very, very good. Really? It had lettuce and... Uh, you do I know think, what was in it, don't you? Well, not for sure, I but, see. but uh, I ate it, and it was it was quite good. You're home. <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> But all in all, it was a great trip. Uh, I, I learned some uh, some good things. Uh, the, when we were taking that bullet train, it was amazing to see the farmland. Miles and miles, acres and acres of uh, beautifully kept uh, farm. You were mentioning, and I've only got a minute here before the last commercial, but you were mentioning about the labor force. And do they, the labor force, the manual labor force out in the farms and working for the highways and everything, do they get treated fairly for the work that they put? in you know I really don't know what kind of a salary they would make um, but um, part of the government's uh, situation I think is to keep everybody employed and so that's why I think they use a lot of hand labor manual labor which brings a good point do they have a problem with a welfare system or those that won't work over in that country like we do here you know I don't know that I, I never did really discuss that with anybody, so I don't know what kind of a welfare plan they have. I see. Well, one thing that they do do is when the parents are working, a lot of times the grandparents are taking care of the children, and, the grandchildren. And you bring up another interesting point, like the Japanese really take care of their elderly. Is that the same in China? Yes, yes. They uh, are very dedicated to their grandparents, their parents, and uh, they're just expected to take care of them as they get older. And a lot of respect. Oh, very much, very yeah. much, yes. I've got to do a quick commercial. Man, you are fascinating. I've never said that to you before, but you are. You're really doing a good job. Hey, don't forget the big spring tire sale at your Magic Valley Les Schwab Tire Centers. All seven locations serving you. And service is the key word with the best tire value promise in the industry. They've got a lot of their tires on sale right now. You can't afford to pass it up for your cars, pickups, and SUVs. Of 
course, the best, the best in brake service. I mean, these people really care. You know, I am so impressed with all seven locations. I'm so impressed with the help. I'm so impressed with the way they treat their customers. They are the professionals, believe me. And very convenient credit uh, can be arranged for tires and services with all seven locations. Stop in and see Lane and Rupert, Dave on Blue Lakes and Twin, Mike and Buell, Mike and Jerome, the Twist family and Paul, John on Poline and Twin Falls, and Randy on Overland and Burley, the best. Your Magic Valley, Les Schwab Tire Centers. Um, Ken, I think what we better do is try to do this again next week because you've got so much more to tell. And uh, overall, what was the weather like at this time of the year over in China? You know, the one morning we went out to the Great Wall, it was 33 degrees. And so it was cold, but it warmed up. Kind of comparable to here, like yeah, right now? right. Okay. And uh, I was pretty lucky in the fact that uh, I really didn't have a problem with smog in Beijing, which does get some pretty heavy smog. But uh, while I was there, I only had one day that uh, was quite smoggy. And uh, I guess this is a question we could ask next week, but I'll ask you to give me a short answer on it right now. Did you, uh, were you comfortable over there? Yes. I never did feel uh, there was one situation uh, with a cab driver that I was somewhat uncomfortable with. But uh, for the most part, cycling around the city uh, or any of the other traveling, I was fine. Okay. Did you, I'm sure, write down a lot of names and addresses to keep in touch with? (laughs) I do have some email addresses. I'll bet you do. I'll bet you do. Uh, You have done a wonderful job, and I thoroughly have enjoyed uh, having you on the program this morning. Dr. History brought to us by our friends at Minicasha Sales. They are wonderful, wonderful people serving you at 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. Zach and the rest of the crew at Minicasha of sales. And if they're listening over in China at Peking University, Isabel, thank you very, very much for the card holder. I'll treasure that for the rest of my life. And Dr. History, we'll see you next Tuesday right here on the program. And let's continue this a little further. Okay. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much.